Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that whether it's raining out or whatever the weather is like outside, the sun is shining in here. Thank you for the presence of your spirit in here, Father. Thank you for your presence here among us. And Lord, we come to you tonight to open your word and thank you that you've given this word to us. Lord, this is unlike any other word. This is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce into and separate the difference between the thoughts and intents of our heart. And Father, we ask that the Word would do that tonight, that it would penetrate through the stubbornness and the hardness of our minds, through the dark areas, the, the hardened areas, those areas we may not even know are there, and bring the light of your truth into our mind and into our heart, that we may see the truth. Father, because as we begin to see the truth and walk in the truth, your word says if we walk in the light as you are in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Well, we need that fellowship and we need to be cleansed. So we look to you, Father, to shine the light of your word upon our thought patterns, upon our habits, upon the workings of our mind, that we may be free in every area of our mind, for that is what you've ordained for us and called for us. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Don't turn there, but John chapter 8, I think it's verse 32, the, the, um, Jesus said, he said, if you, if you remain in my word and my words abide in you, then you shall be my disciples and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth has the capacity tonight to set you free, but it's only the truth that you know that will set you free, and you can't know it until this word abides in your heart. So there's a process here. So we're learning, we're learning to be conformed. The Bible says in Romans 12:2 to not be conformed to this world, but to transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've looked at the principle that that the Bible tells us that we're made in three parts. I know there are people out there that believe you're only made in two parts, but they're missing a part. Actually, they got two parts combined. But the Bible says you're made in three parts: spirit, soul, and body. You, your, your spirit is who you are. That's the essence of who you are. That's the definition of who you are. That's the part of you that was born again when you came to Christ. You have a soul. That's your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. When you meet somebody, you get to know somebody, you like somebody or dislike somebody, in most cases it's their soul that you're getting to know. It's your soul that they're running up against or you're liking or disliking. And then, of course, there's this earth suit that we all came in tonight called your body. And that your spirit is of the spirit realm, which is the realm that God exists and where God is. John chapter 4 says God is a spirit. And so that your spirit is from that realm, your flesh, your body is from this material realm. That's why it says it starts with dust and it will return to dust. It's of the materials of this earth. But your soul is the bridge between the two. Your soul is what connects your body to your spirit man. And we're not going to get into all of that study in this. We may go back, because we kind of picked up in this course in the middle of it. And we skipped the beginning, the foundation, but because I wanted to get into this process of renewing your mind. And so we went through all that, because in Romans 12, 1, it says what we're to do with our body. See, when you're saved, the only part of you God changed was your spirit. Took your old nature out, put His nature in. So your new nature is born of Him. That's why we now, sin does not, Romans 6.14 says, sin no longer has dominion over us. Why? Because we have God's nature in us. Before you had God's nature in you, you we acted like your nature. I mean, it's not, it's not shocking that sinners sin because it's our nature to sin. But it is shocking when believers sin because it's not our nature. So we, we're acting against our nature. That's a lot of what John talks about in 1 John. We're acting against our nature. That's why it bothers you or should bother you when you sin. When you go somewhere you know you shouldn't go, you begin to feel uncomfortable. Why? Because that's your nature, God in you, saying, uh-uh, we don't belong in here. 
And we need to learn to listen to that. So it's your soul is the part that takes that sense on the inside and communicates it to your mind. And so you have a decision of what you're going to do. So in Romans 12.1, Paul tells us what to do with our body is to make a living sacrifice of it. To present it to God, holy and acceptable unto Him. It is a, it is a sacrifice. Instead of laying on an altar, you know, some calf or some turtle dove or something like that, we literally lay our body on the altar every day. I belong to you. Whatever you want to do with this, it is yours. And that will set you free when you really make that adjustment, that your body does not belong to you. It belongs to Him. You're a tenant in there. He lets you use it, but it's your, it's His. But verse 2 tells us what we're to do with the other part. It says, do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed is a word I've told you means to be pressured from the outside to look like the outside world looks like. And that's what all persecution does. That's what most of the challenges and troubles you're going through are designed to do. That's all these issues of life are designed to put pressure on you so that you don't have time to get in touch with who you are on the inside. You notice they steal your time, they steal your energy, they steal your attention. So you come to the end of the day and say, oh, I forgot to pray. I know I should. I wanted to pray today, but I can't, I, I just, why? It wasn't because I sat around, you know, eating bonbons and ice cream and drinking iced tea. So, you know, I think, I'll, no, it's things distracted you. Things pulled you off course. And then when you came home and says, well, I'll pray when I get home, you're, oh. now your body's worn out. So you sit there with that thing going like this, which is just, you know, your mind's on alpha, just dead like that. Instead of, instead of spending time with God. And it's not that we meant to do that. It's just all these things pressured us. And then under pressure, what happens, because we haven't been spending time with Him, somebody says something against you, and what comes out of you is your flesh, the way you used to react. And you say, oh, I don't want to say that anymore. I didn't want to do that anymore. Why? Because that's not who you are. But they're starting to, you're acting on the outside like the rest of the world is because of the pressure. Now, if you understand that, then we understand how to counteract that. So we're not to be conformed to this world. But God almost never ends by telling you what not to do. He ends by telling you what to do. The second part of Romans 12, 2 says that we are to be, conf- we are to be transformed by the ruining of the mind. N- renewing of the mind, not, re- not, newing, not ruining the mind, the renewing of the mind. And, and so what that means is to take what you really are like on the inside and work it to the outside. And that's done by renewing your mind or literally changing how you think. This is a computer that controls what gets down inside of you and controls what comes back up out of your spirit. So God can put, God will put things in your spirit that will not, you will not do because your mind doesn't agree with them. And that's where vision becomes important. That's where expanding your knowledge of God. Because you're sit- facing a situation that looks like it's absolutely overwhelming. There's no answer to this. And you look at it and say, well, I'm, it's hopeless. And yet we forget who lives inside of us. Amen. He's the God of hope. Amen. And you look at the amount of debt that you owe and say, your mind says there's no way to do that. You know, and God's looking at just laughing at the amount. Amen. Saying, I got a portion of a pebble that fell off of one of my streets that's worth more than that. But we think in the world's terms and not in God's terms. And so God has to get part of it is to learn to think in the way He thinks because He doesn't see the issues you're facing the way you see them. I was talking with somebody before we came in just about, you know, our perspective on life is, doesn't line up with God's. Paul, Paul, in fact, let's turn there. We're going to follow what only the Spirit of God has to say to us tonight anyway. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2, chapter 1. 
This is an example of why Paul Paul's, Paul writes this letter from prison. Verse 19, he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ, Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, that with all boldness as always, as, I, as now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live... He didn't know whether he was going to be released from prison or executed from one day to the next. For me to live on in the flesh, for, for, excuse me, verse 21, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. That's not how we see death. We say, we say, oh, I'm just sorry about your loss. And it is a loss in the natural sense. Now, I'm talking about believers. It is a loss in the natural sense because we've lost the immediacy of our contact with them. But from God's perspective, it's not a loss. We're talking about believers now. So Paul's looking at his life. He said, for me to live is Christ. In other words, it's to his advantage. But to die for me is gain. For if I live on the flesh, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Labor. Boy, I, in the name of Jesus, John, you can talk tonight. <laughs> Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's trying to decide whether he wants to live or die. Not, oh, I don't know whether I want to live or die. No, he's deciding whether he wants to stay on here or he wants to go on and be with the Lord. This is a serious debate that's going on as he writes this. For if I live on in the flesh, this will be mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I cannot, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. How many of us see death as something far better? I know we know theologically it is. But when you're getting, when the rubber hits the road, and you're really, really facing it, and it's no longer, you know, raising your hand in church and say, yes, amen. But it's now, this is me we're talking about. That's when we find out where we really are. Paul was facing that. He said, I don't know whether, he said, I'm hard-pressed to make this decision. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So here's an example of a man who changed the way he thought about life he didn't see life as everything this life here that he could squeeze every moment out of but he saw it in this and I've heard years ago one of my Bible teachers said if you haven't if you're not prepared to die you're not really ready to live I thought about that for a minute it didn't make sense at first until I thought more about it and realized he's right because until you're prepared to die Every moment you're alive is, is to avoid that moment. And I got news for you. You ain't going to avoid it. <laughs> you're going to go one way or the other. You're either going to leave this life here and go on to be with the Lord, or you're gonna, He's going to come back and you're going to... This is not your home. So why do we worry about it so much? This is not... Do you understand... Two seconds in heaven, and you won't care about anything that you went through here. 
the stuff that we've, how our stomach has been in knots over, that we've lost precious sleep over, in the twinkling of an eye, it will matter nothing. Amen. There are things that will matter, but those by and large are not the things we put our energy and our faith and our, and our, and our time into. Most of the time we're putting our energy and our time and our thought life and all of our sweat and all this stuff into things that really ultimately don't matter much. We try to hang on to things that are just going to stay here and end up in somebody else's hands. I still remember the time after my father had died and his wife sent me a box. It's really all I got. A box, and this arrived, and I opened the box, and our youngest kids were still at home. The twins were still at home, and I opened it, opened it together because at one point, he, he was never wealthy, but he had all kinds of things, and he liked to collect watches and things like that, and he had some Rolex watches, and you know, I think, hey, this, what's in here? This is good. You know? And I open it up, and it's a bunch of cosmetic watches and I brought the twins over the two that were left over and I said this is what's left of my father's life he was on this earth for 74 years and and this is what I have of my father all the money he had all the trips he took this is what's left Live your life so that what you leave behind is more than a bunch of plastic watches. I read one author who said it's this way. It really brings it down to it. I don't know why I'm on this tonight. Is that, is that if you ever looked at a tombstone, there's a starting date. And there's an ending date. And you choose what's in between. And most of the time we've spent our life worrying about, thinking about, talking about, sweating about things that do they really ultimately matter in God's perspective. Paul had renewed his mind. That's what we're talking about tonight. He changed the way he thought about his life. You can see the decisions he made in, in, in Philippians in Philippians chapter... Um, well, we're in Philippians, aren't we? Let's go over to chapter 3. Verse 4. Though I might put confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh... I more so. So he's talking about the kind of things we, we impress each other with and try to impress ourselves with. This is his resume. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, i got a better resume than you do, is what he's saying here. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That may not mean much to you, but in Jewish circles, that's putting himself in an upper class. Of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisees. Oh, I was, I was in the ministry. Concerning zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Concerning righteousness, which is the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted 
lot. Nobody took them away from him. This isn't what's because Paul failed in life, couldn't make it as a Pharisee, couldn't make it as a teacher of the law, so he went back into this other profession. He became a preacher of the gospel. No, 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 no. He counted. That word counted in Greek is an accounting term. Every year at the end of the year, our accountants come in to help close out our books. We close the books out, but they go over them and and give us, you know, a clean bill of health and all that. And every year I got a... Now, I don't do it anymore so much. I oversee it, but but I used to get... We have two columns. There's debits and credits. And I could never remember which one was which. I know which side they went on, but I couldn't remember which one because it wasn't the way it always sounded. I know we got some accountants in here. But what it is is when you go to enter in the computer, the computer doesn't know which it is. So you type in a check or you type in an expense and it asks you which account that's going to get posted to. You have to make a decision which account, which side of the ledger that's going to get posted to. It's a choice that we make. Now, we make it in accordance with accounting principles. But, and that's what that word makes. You choose which column you're going to count it in. Things happen to you in life. And we've bought this lie or this deception that, well, there's nothing I can do about it. And there are some things you can't do anything about. But what you can do, determine, is how you're going to react to it. Oh, I'm off on some real side trails tonight. You've got to get out of your vocabulary where they made me feel this way. No one can make you feel any way. You choose how you feel. Now, they can do things that encourage you and tempt you to feel a certain way, but you choose how you feel. They do something to you, but it's your choice what you do with that. And until you learn that, you will lead a victim's life. A victim's mentality. Well, I am whatever people do to me. Then you need to get saved. Because my Bible says when you saved, you became a child of God. Old things passed away. And all things became new. Now, the all things that passed away wasn't your mind, it wasn't your emotions, it wasn't your soul, it was your spirit man changed. But that spirit man is a child of God, born of God, has the potential to be exactly like Christ. That's the potential you have. You may not hit it today or tomorrow. You may not hit it by the time you breathe your last breath, but you have the potential to be further down the road next year than you are this year. Not only that, the Bible says that you've changed families. You've been delivered from the dominion, the domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13, and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You don't belong in His kingdom anymore. My Bible says we've been given authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall in any way harm us. Luke 10, 19. That's what the Word of God says about you. And that's only a small part of it. If that's true, if Jesus has overcome my enemy, then He does not have the power to hold me in bondage where I am right now. 
That means if I'm going to stay in bondage where I am right now, it's my choice to stay there. It's not my parents' choice. It's not my spouse's choice. It's not my kids' choice. It's not. It's my choice. The Bible says that we were made in God's image. That doesn't necessarily mean that God has ears and hands. He may, because there's references to those things. But the, what it really is talking about is man is the only creation that God made to whom he gave a free will. Everything else God created obeys him instantly. You and I are the only thing he ever created that he gave the right to say no. Say, why would he do that? So that our yes means something. He didn't create the mountains. He didn't create the stars. He didn't create the sea in order to have an intimate relationship with them. So he doesn't care whether they—he doesn't care whether they can say no or yes. He just wants them to obey him. That's why when Jesus spoke to storms, they instantly obeyed him. Why? His voice created them. They had no choice. The only ones that had a choice were the guys in the boat. God gave man a free will. Because without that free will, without the right to say no, our yes to him means nothing. If we were like the wind and the waves and he could command us to love him, our love wouldn't mean anything to him. Because it's not something we chose to give him freely. That's how much he wants and desires your love. He would risk losing you because there's no other way that he can get what means something to him, which is for you to freely give yourself to him. That's why he doesn't make us do that. Why doesn't he make us all give our lives to Christ? Why doesn't he make us do that? If it's not his will that any should perish, the Bible says that, then why doesn't he make us all come to Christ? Why do we, I mean, why doesn't just, we don't, why do we have to wait for revival? Why doesn't just God snap his fingers and Boom, we all are in here, everybody's on their knees, boom, it's all over, we all go to heaven and wrap this whole thing up. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense. Because what he's after is more than that. What he's after is your heart. Freely given to him. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. So he gave us a free will. He made us in his image. He gave us a free will. And no one, no one, not even God, can interfere with that. If God can't interfere with that, your parents can't, your background can't, your disadvantages or your advantages can't, your circumstances in life can't, the only thing that can limit you is your choice to stay where you are. Your choice, and when you use anything as an excuse for not changing and growing, you're choosing to become a victim instead of a victor. That's what the first generation of Israel did. 
They had all kinds of excuses for not entering into the place God had promised them. Well, it's where we came from. It's the hard times we're going through. And day after day, God performed miracles to demonstrate to him, to them who he was, that he was with them, and what he was willing to do for them. And they missed it. Why? Because they kept their eyes on where they'd come from. They were looking for excuses. You can't have excuses and victory. You can't have them both. You've got to choose. Do you want pity? Or do you want freedom and victory? You've got to choose what you want. You can't have both. Because they're like opposite ends of a, of a, of a magnet. One end of a magnet draws to metal, and the other does what? From another, from a magnet, it pushes away. The victim mentality in the spirit realm pushes the blessings of God away from you because it's rejecting God. It's saying it's choosing it's choosing self over God. Because it's really saying, I'd rather have the excuse for staying where I am than God in my life to get me where he wants to get me. There's no middle ground. There's no, you can't play with one and have the other. I don't know how we got off on this tonight, but this is where the Spirit of God's taking us, so we're going to go there. Somebody needs to hear this tonight. Because we're at a crossroads. And I'll tell you this, and I don't remember if I've told you before, but in the last time, the last morning of prayer in here, God spoke that there's some that won't go. There's some that won't go because they're gonna, it's going to require a change they don't want to make. Nothing scary. It's just we like where we are. Some people like where they are because it's, they, don't want to have to, they don't want to have to confront things in their life. And so what we do is instead of, and you know that, that's human, that's okay, as long as we will allow God to shine his light on it. It's when we have the attitude is, well, this is the way I've always been, and I'm not changing. That's what Israel did. They refused. God worked with them. He worked with them. He tried to work with them. They just were stiff-necked. They wouldn't turn their head. They wouldn't bow their neck to him. So God will work with you where you are as long as you, we don't get stubborn and start using excuses for where we are. Because an excuse is a reason to stay where you are and not change. And God will give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But, but there comes a point where God says, no, you're not going to change. And he knows when that place is. He knows where that place is. So it is important that we learn to think the way God thinks. God doesn't think in terms of failure and defeat. God thinks in terms of victory. Now, now your idea of victory and his may not be the same. I'm not talking about compromise. But your idea of victory and his... For instance, our idea of victory is we live forever. His idea of victory is we go home and be with him. The psalmist says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Why? There's no barrier in the flesh anymore. See, we learn, need to learn to think about things the way God thinks about them. And that takes work. Paul didn't get there overnight. He also didn't get there sitting in the ivory 
an ivory tower classroom writing theological dissertations about what life is all about. He got this by going in the trenches. If you don't understand that, then read his account in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians about some of the things he went through. Being shipwrecked from night or day several times. Beaten like four times. With, with scourged like Jesus was. He was beaten with, with, with the 39 stripes. He was in danger of wild animals. Four-legged type and two-legged type. <laughs> some of you know those two-legged type. <laughs> some of you may work with some of those two-legged types. The point is, he learned these things by facing death, sometimes day after day after day. And he had to take that situation and apply what he knew God's Word meant, said to it. And that's how we grow. You run into a situation in your life and you run to the words, and what does the Word say? Now, that's not the time to go. You need to put things in you already. You need to have built things in you already. All right. Okay. We've been talking about renewing our mind and different techniques for renewing our mind, different, different uh, 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 um, strategies or different tools. That's the word I'm looking for. We looked at the tool of meditation. I gave you some steps for meditating. And now last week we began to look at the, the next major one. Again, none of these are ones, if you've been around for a while, you haven't heard before. But we're going to look at them in a little more depth than typically we look at them and from a little different perspective. This one's confession. And I explained to you last week that the word confession, one of the meanings of the word confession is to accept ownership of something. And if you stop and think about it, I mean, many of us were raised in churches where part of what you normally did is you went in and you went before a, a, a gentleman in the cloth or, and you made a confession to them. And that confession was not, you know, I'm the I'm righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It was, this is what I did wrong and this is what I did wrong and this is what I thought wrong. And what you were doing by that is accepting ownership of it. So the confession of a sin is simply saying, I did it. And you understand that's the path to freedom. This is, again, on the same track. Because when if I kept blaming my brother for breaking the window, remember I told you I broke a window when I was a kid? If I said, you know, Tommy did it, then my mother would have forgiven him. But I'd have walked around with the guilt. See, what, see the way to get free of guilt is you bring it to the cross. You don't psychologize it. You don't go back and, you know, there's nothing wrong with sometimes with going back and understanding why you're the way you are. <clears throat> but, but, you know, you've got to deal with it, the sin. Call it what it is. It's sin. We can say that word in church. Say it with me. Sin. Oh. And, and people didn't run out the back door. Because they don't understand. When we think, when we, see, we've watered that down. Well, we have this problem. Sin is sin. See, problems you have to work through and resolve. Sin you confess. And he forgives. And it's gone. But if it's a problem, that can be. Now, there are some things that are. But if it's a problem or if it's an issue that I have, that can become an excuse to live with it for a while. Because I'm in the process of taking care of it. But if it's sin, face it as sin. Confess it as sin. Repent of it. Pastor Sam used to have this great simple philosophy. Right? Anybody remember what it was? What? Admit it and quit it. Next page. (laughs) It's that simple. 
So it's hard to do. But the Bible says we've been given dominion over sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Romans 6.14. All right. I must be messing with a lot of people tonight. This is all over the place. All right. Let's go on with this before we mess with me. Okay. So confession basically means to accept ownership of something. And there's two basic types of confession. There's a confession where you're speaking out of the abundance of your heart. And this is what we talked about last time. Where, where you're, you believe something, because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You were saved that way. Romans 10 says that, that the way you were saved is you believed in your heart and you declared with your mouth. We went back and looked over that last week. In Romans 4.17, we saw that God calls things that be not as though they were. He calls them into existence. Something He sees in His Spirit, He creates by calling it into existence. And we're made in His image to do that. Jesus in Mark 11.23 told us to speak to the mountains in our life. Command them to be taken up and cast into the sea. We talked about that. We talked about Hebrews 3.1 says, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. And, and 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, And the same spirit of faith I believed, therefore I spoke. So when you believe something, the way you release your faith is with words or actions. But many times there's not an action you can take, so you release it with words. That's how you got, that's how you got married, gentlemen, with a word, two words, I do. The preacher said all kinds of things, but the ones that sealed the deal was, I do. Not I did, or I will do, I do, present tense, continuing action. I do. It's a commitment of your mouth. By those words, I do, you seal the covenant commitment that you made to your spouse. So your words got you connected in this covenant. Okay. Now, but there's a second type of confession that the Bible talks about. And that's very different and has a different purpose. And if you don't understand the difference of these two, you'll conf- you, can, you may confuse them and not fully utilize them for the right purpose. Whereas the first confession is something you do believe in your heart and you release it by confessing it with your words. This is a type of, that's, this is a type of confession where you take something that you don't yet believe. Now we're all, we assume we're, you know, we're talking about something God's promised us. Because if you're off trying to believe something God didn't promise you, you're in presumption. There's faith, foolishness, and presumption. You want to make sure you're, and faith has to be based on a promise God has made. So we're assuming that. That you found a promise God has made, and you read it, and it just goes, your mind goes, tilt. I don't know that I can swallow that one. Or you may be more sophisticated spiritually and say, yes, amen, in church. And go home and it doesn't get anywhere past here. Because understand this, if this thing doesn't agree with it, it's not getting down in here. If your mind doesn't understand it, the best example of that is I could bring into you I've got a brother, a half-brother, who uh, uh, I, he got a doctorate degree from MIT. And not only do I not under, I saw his doctoral dissertation. Not only do I not understand what the title meant, I couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> and I could bring that into you and read it to you. And we'd all leave, if we ever woke up again, we would all, <laughs> all leave here, and we would leave here the way we 
came in, except we might have a little more sleep. We might be a little more rested. Why? Because it's truth. How come it didn't get in? Because I didn't understand it. If I don't understand it, it doesn't get in here. Next, suppose I understand it, but I don't agree with it. I was listening to somebody the other day on television. And I'm listening along. It's somebody I've respected in the past. And he started saying some things I know didn't agree with the Bible. And my wife thought I was going to throw something through the TV set. I was getting, so, and I very rarely get that disturbed. But I was, I was getting mad. Steam coming out of my ears. I mean, I was just getting upset. I guarantee you nothing he said got in. I understood what he was saying. But my mind was so busy finding scriptures to answer him that there's no way it was going to get into my heart. And in that case, it was a protection. And if I tell you something, that you go to this word and it doesn't line up with this word, don't accept what I tell you. Come and ask me because I may have an explanation. I may be wrong. I have been before once. (laughs) And twice, and three times, and four times. And probably... Can I let you in on a secret? You've got to promise not to tell anybody. Okay? Now, they didn't come here tonight, so they don't get to know this secret. This is a past, This is a minister's secret. Everybody out there is wrong about something. There's no preacher out there except Jesus Christ who's right about everything. And if they think they are, they're really off. See, how does God handle that? That's what grace is about. What do we do with that? You pray, you read your Bible for yourself. It's based on this. But there's th- this is why we keep reading this. There's things in here my mind still fights. I know it's true, but see, the, problem's, the problem is it's running up against old patterns of thought that were built into me even as a child. I've shared with you before one of them. I shared with you I was, we were out at, first went out to Bible school and we were sitting in an evening service. It was a healing service and, and the... Um, the, the, the preacher that night was the son of a very famous healing evangelist at, from the 50s and the 60s. And he started out saying, made this statement. And he said, he said, you've got to understand, it's hard for me tonight to imagine that there'll be anybody that won't be healed. I'd never heard that statement before. And suddenly I realized, but this man grew up as a little boy sitting on the side of a platform night after night watching people come out of wheelchairs, throwing crutches down, blind eyes opening. While I was at home watching his father on television with my family making fun of him, saying, this is a bunch of bunk, they're just after your money. We were both watching the exact same event. But he had dots 
planted in his mind. Remember dots that make up pictures? That formed images that were very different than the dots that were planted in my mind. So here we go fast forward 30 years or more. And we're both in the same room facing the same events. And he's looking at these events with images and strongholds in his mind that open the door of his heart to watching, expecting God to do great and mighty things that night. Whereas I have images, strongholds in my mind that when I hear those words, they don't just go down into my heart and my heart open up. Instead, they bounce off of these images, these strongholds that reject those thoughts. Well, that's not possible. You can reject something that actually happens in front of you. Because it doesn't line up with the images, the strongholds that have been formed in your mind that say that can't happen. So what we're about is the process of replacing those images and strongholds with new ones. And we start by putting new dots in. So when you take when confession, this type of confession, not speaking out what I believe, but this type of confession is to take what God's Word says, regardless of what I believe about it, and begin to intentionally put dots in my brain to form a new picture that lines up with what God's Word says. So what I had to do at one point in my life is I took two weeks and I read, I went through the Bible for myself. I didn't listen to healing tapes. I went through and found them for myself in my Bible. And I made a list of healing scriptures. And I began to go through them. And that's all I would look at is take those scriptures and think about it, meditate on it, meditate on it. And I'd speak them over and over and over and over and over again. Until I began to sow Dots in my mind. I've been listening to the testimony of Kenneth Hagin, Brother Hagin. Many of you have heard the testimony, but at 16 years of age, he was became bedfast, and he was um, uh, he was raised in a church that didn't believe in healing. Um, his pastor had come, and he was he had three or four, maybe five, fatal conditions. He had a, 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 a probably some kind of of, of leukemia. Back in those days, they didn't know exactly what it was. His, his white cells were eating up his red cells um, faster than his bone marrow could produce them. He had heart, he had heart uh, problems. He was never strong as a boy. And he, at age 16 or so, he became paralyzed and was in bed. And, and all, all he could do is read a Bible, and he could, that he'd prop that up there. And he just started going through the Gospels and hit Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24 and kept right of going by it and something in him said there's an answer for you in there because he talked to his pastors and his pastors said you know he'd say son it's all going to be over soon they're waiting for you in heaven in the sweet by and by none of them gave him hope nobody gave him hope but he just started going through this Bible and, he, and those scriptures resonated with him See, the Spirit of God inside of you wants to lead you into all truth. Didn't Jesus say that? 
He says, when I go, I'm going to be your advantage. Because when he comes, he's going, to, he's going to come. He's going to lead you into truth. He will lead you into the truth in this Bible you need. And he began to sense that the answers in those verses, he didn't even understand what they meant. But he would just say them over and over and over and over and over again. The testimony I was listening to, he said, one night, he said, one night I said that literally all night long. He said, I must have said it a thousand or two thousand times. He said, I didn't believe it. But I kept saying it. Why? Because what's he doing? He's planting dots. And see, at first when you do this, it'll feel like it, you're, it doesn't make sense. Your mind will balk at it. It'll argue with it. It'll say that's not true. Don't worry about it. See, with this, through the first technique, with the confession, you're called, the purpose is you're calling into being something you already believe. Different type of confession. This is a confession where you're trying to change what you believe. So, by definition, you don't believe it. So when your mind says, oh, that's not true, don't pay attention to it. What, as long as it's when here, it's truth. And what you do is you begin to take the scripture, and I'd suggest you just take one, and you just start saying it to you over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and you don't need to listen to yourself. Just say it over, over and 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 over. What happens when I get bored? Keep saying it. Because what will happen is there will come a moment when it will go off. There's two Greek words primarily that are used in the Bible that are translated word. Because that's what we're talking about. There's the Greek word logos, which means a statement of fact, basically. And then there's the Greek word rhema, which means... A word spoken personally to you, applied to you. I've heard it expressed this way. It's the best way I can do it. Rhema is hatched logos. You ever had scripture just go off in you suddenly? You're reading along. You may have read it before. And it goes, whoa, did you see that? That logos just hatched to rhema. It became alive in you. And then you show it to your spouse and they go, yeah, so what? It's like, you need to get saved. Don't you see this? Why? It's still logos to them. You keep saying it over and over. What you're doing is you're planning, you're, you're, put, you're purposefully building a new image by taking thoughts out of this word and planting them somewhere in your mind. You know how they make mosaics? They take little tiles that together make up a bigger picture and they purposely put them in a location. That's what you're doing. Another image you can get, I've heard Pastor Ray teach this, is, is there's a principle of the way you break a large rock up is you take a sledgehammer and you keep hitting it and 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 hitting it. You may have done that for half a day and it doesn't look like you're getting anywhere, but what you don't realize is every hit is breaking down the molecular structure of that rock where you're hitting it. And it's not going to just slowly chip away. What will happen is there's going to be one of those hits where that thing just suddenly splits open. You don't know which one it's going to be. So you can't measure what's happening by what you see when you go, wham, like that. Because the next wham might be where it gets through. That's how this works. Well, you understand that. You go to the doctor. 
The doctor said, well, look, you've got this, you know, you got this infection. Go get this prescription fulfilled. You know, you take a tablet in the morning, a tablet you take morning and evening, and you take this for, for 10 days. Now, in two days, the symptoms may go away. But what do you do? You finish out the prescription, right? So what do you do? You go, because you, you believe the doctor. You believe his word. You go take that piece of paper, or now they do it electronically. You go down, you get the prescription filled, and you go, you take the medicine. You don't think about whether it's working or not. You don't picture, because you don't have enough of a medical dream, most of us, some of us here do, to imagine, well, this is, you don't even know what it's doing. You just do what it says. It says, take a tablet in the morning, take a tablet in the evening. Take a tablet in the morning, take a tablet in the evening. The Bible says that you plant, the farmer plants a seed, waters it, and he grows, and he knows not how. But he keeps watering it, doesn't he? He keeps watering it. He doesn't know how it's going to grow. You sow that seed. You speak that word. 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 What I found is there comes a point where the Spirit of God is able to connect through from the inside of you with your mind and break. Because there's strongholds in your mind you're trying to break down. Unbelief. Fear. Whatever it may be. And what you're doing, so this is very different. So understand when you're doing this, you're saying things you don't believe. That's why you're saying it. So don't worry that you don't believe it. That's why you're saying it. And your mind will try to talk you out of it. Well, you don't believe it. That's right. That's why we're doing this. So shut up. We're going to keep saying it. We're going to keep saying it till you get in line. So you've got to talk to your mind. Oh, we've got to stop here. We'll pick up here next week. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness in our lives. We thank you that you're very practical, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are. Father, it's so clear from your word how important it is our minds are to you and how our minds are to us. How important is it for us to understand how our minds work? Thank you that you've given us tools that are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so, Father, we thank you as we continue our study. I pray, Father, that in these days ahead, as till we come back to this subject again, that you will continue to open our eyes to recognize our thoughts. And help us to understand that we have dominion over our thoughts. They do not have dominion over us. We have dominion over our minds. They do not have dominion over us. Thank you for the spirit of the living God who dwells in us. And he is in us to lead us into all truth. Help us, Holy Spirit, to find those verses that we need that are the most important. That we need to start declaring over our lives in order to change the way we think to line up with the way our God and our Father and our Lord thinks. For that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.